Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Richard Haynes Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Richard Haynes of Manhattan Pacific Realty here in the South Bay area of Los Angeles, where we cover Manhattan Beach to Palos Verdes. This episode, we have a very special guest. That's Kevin Lang of Denton Developments, general contractor extraordinaire here in the South Bay. We are covering topics on what it takes to build a home and the typical costs that you see. We also cover some of the biggest trends here in the South Bay, and we pull great little gold tidbits from Kevin that'll help you when considering remodeling, building your home, or just having this great information as real estate perspective. We hope you enjoy. Let's get to it. Kevin Lang, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Fired up to have you here. I love talking construction, especially South Bay from an expert like you. I've been asking since day one. My first comment I even think I put on the podcast was, you got to have guests. You got to have have guests. And now you're on here. You were my number one contracting guest. We go way back. Yes. We've built a couple spec homes together. You've given me some good advice. You've built homes for my clients, so I'm pumped because we can get into everything from PV to Manhattan Beach and everywhere in between. So before we get you rolling, I want to give the light intro for our listeners. So Kevin is the head of construction at Denton Developments, a full-service construction management and development company specializing in green building techniques, high-performance structures, and innovative design consulting. Kevin is a native to the South Bay, and a significant amount of his building experience has come from working on some of the most unique and exclusive homes in Palos Verdes. Kevin currently lives in Redondo Beach with his family. Kevin, does that about sum it up? What did we miss? Well, you know. 90% of it, but that's the yeah, easy Yeah, I was going to say, right? exclusive <laughs> homes in Palos Verdes, you've done exclusive homes in Manhattan Beach, uh, you do a ton of stuff down, in Redondo, up. but there you go, you're all over the South Bay. I grew up in the South Bay, very similarly to um, Richard. We actually crossed paths a lot, I think, growing up, and never formally met each other. Yes. Went to grade school, St. John Fisher, high school, Bishop Montgomery. The first time I didn't have to get to wear a uniform was college, and I wasn't ever sure if I was supposed to wow. wear a suit or pajamas to class. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and um, came back, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. What'd you major in? <laughs> I, 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 I spent three and a half years studying mechanical engineering. Huge for construction. I know. And I loved it, but it was really hard. And everyone was like, oh, just get to design, get to design. See, I'm, I'm digressing already. But got to design and we spent like, Six weeks on this little triangular bracket that was supposed to hold a small solar array on a satellite that was going to be shot out into outer space. Six weeks doing the calculations and 20 minutes on the physical design. After 20 pages of calculations and 20 minutes on the actual design, I'm like, I'm just too ADD and too type A for this crap. Transferred out of that into um, industrial technologies which is like manufacturing processes. And um, 
yeah, graduated in four and a quarter. Did like 25 units a quarter just to get out. And, Amazing. Uh, Regret the rush, quite frankly. I could have spent another quarter in college and had a blast. Exactly. It was amazing up there. Yes. If you ever want to go on an easy vacation, go to San Luis Obispo. I agree. I've been there. Love it. And I uh, came back here to the South Bay and actually worked for a high-end um, construction company that did uh, development work as well as really high-end homes. First project I ever worked on was a seven-unit apartment building in downtown San Pedro. Cool. Two stories of subterranean parking. Wow. And uh, that was right around um, the uh, dr- the bottom with Vineyard Bank. I don't know if you're familiar with them. And, you know, that project went kaput midway through and the bank went out of business. It was wow. really bad. Okay. And then uh, after that project jumped on to my next two projects that I project managed. One was a 25,000 square foot home on Palos Verdes Estates. The other one was on Paseo del Mar. That one was about 5,000 square feet. And uh, yeah, and then I also worked on a couple 40,000 square foot homes, just some massive Mediterranean, when that was popular. Monstrosities. (laughs) Yeah, Venetian plaster, (laughs) gold leaf, everything, you know. Mm -hmm. I felt like for a while there, there was a competition that these customers had of who could build the more funky house Mm -hmm. and crazier stuff, but... Spent about two and a half years working for those guys. Learned a lot of what not to do. That's uh, good advice to anybody. Sure. You can learn what how to do things correctly any day of the week. But uh, sometimes when you work with guys who aren't doing it the right way, you learn a hell of a Even lot more, more. For sure. And that's what I did. And I started out on my own. Working from 18,000, 20,000 square foot homes all the way back down to kitchen and bathroom remodels and worked nice. my way back up to... Uh, Single family homes. That's how you got to do it. Start from the bottom when you start the new business. And when did you get your first big job? And where was it? Whatever you qualify that as. A big remodel, a ground up build. I don't know how to answer that. It's okay. I'm just trying to see where where it led to you and then going back today. I will say this. No, I don't. Because like every year, technically, I feel like I'm getting a bigger job, a more complex job, a more exciting job. Right. And what I'm learning is, is that it's not really about, (laughs) it's not about the size of the project. (laughs) (laughs) It's about the quality of the customer, the quality of the group of people you're working with. That really determines how the project is going to be, if it's going to be enjoyable or if it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, these are challenging times, is all I can say. COVID's messed a lot of things up with building. The crazy real estate market has changed a lot. Inflation. Inflation, I mean, people, I don't even think people realize inflation. I mean, I think they grasp it in their head and they hear on the news, oh my gosh, gas prices. And I'm like, no, that's the tip of the iceberg. Sure. We are the the tip of the spear when it comes to that stuff. Mm -hmm. You hear it on the news. If you're building a house, I can tell you this much. Like within the past 18 months alone, these are the, the the basics of inflation in construction, all right? And, and it's really hard for people to grasp this concept. But mm-hmm. I can go back to the first full single-family home that Richard and I did. Okay. How much was that per square foot to build? It's $200 a square foot. $200 Which a square foot. Which is insane to think about. And what what when was that? When did we build that home? Oh, God. I don't know. I want to say it was like 2012, okay. the ground up. something. It's about 10 years ago, nine years ago, we built for $200 a square foot, 3,500 square foot home on Avenue A. Yep. So, And that was great numbers, everything like that. It, you did, and I mean, you beat the market on what people were building for. They 100%. were building at like 250 or 300 I mean, that at thing that was time. VE 
to the nines. B-E'd for the and we'll get for into those that listeners value engineering, <laughs> but we'll get to that. So back then you should you used to be able to buy like a yard of concrete was about 90 bucks. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, and up until 18 months ago, that yard of concrete was a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Today, that same yard of concrete is 160 bucks. Wow. That's within 18 months, you've got, you know, what is that? 60%, 60% increase in price. Just on your concrete. Just on concrete. Rebar has doubled. Form lumber, regular job site lumber. Everyone in construction always is like, oh, lumber. But lumber's gone down. Yeah. In their eyes, that means everything's gone down. No. Nominal lumber has gone down. That means a two by four, a two by six, a two by 12 has gone down. Plywood has gone a little bit down, but it's still immensely expensive. TJIs, which are um, truss joists or the engineered I-beams that you see. Most construction jobs, I'd say about 50% of the lumber that's used in California because of our seismic requirements is more engineered materials than nominal materials. So nominal materials have gone down. Engineered materials really haven't. Hmm. All right? Plumbing. Shit, I was building my own house. And ABS and PVC pipe. I get 24-hour notice that says ABS is going up 300%. Used to be able to buy a foot for cents on the dollar. One foot now costs a buck 50. You're like, mm. holy smokes. A spool of Rolmex, an average house would cost, you know, you'd need about 30 or 40 spools of Rolmex. Went from 30 bucks a roll mm-hmm. to $140 a roll within 18 months. That's about six or seven items. Almost every single item I mentioned, the prices have not gone down. So... Everybody loves to ask their favorite question. Yes, which you can just, why don't you ask the question now before I ask it? I feel like I'm the most popular guy at every party I fucking go to. <laughs> how, much did, how much is it going to cost me to build my house? So how much? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I know yeah. exactly. Yeah. $225 yeah, a square foot. For that build, exactly. Yeah, no. I just, just like It's much more than that. And that's, I oh. want to educate our listeners because it's like when someone comes to us and goes, I want to buy a $2 million home. And I'm like, well, is it a fixer? Does it have a view? Do you want a big backyard? Do you want to be on the beach? The same thing for you is you can't answer those questions directly because you don't know what type of tile people are using. Cabinetry, is it a contemporary home or a traditional home? There's so many tiny, tiny details that add up to get an exact number. But in general, you can give... You can give numbers, but you're like, what if someone has crazy vaulted ceilings or massive windows or they want steel windows as opposed to vinyl windows? Those change things immensely. So I know it's hard for you to give. I'm happy to give numbers with the like massive asterisk, maybe multiple asterisks alongside that and a conversation that lasts 30 minutes describing the No one's going to hold you to these numbers. Let's start with this. <laughs> our, our 2012 Avenue A spec home that I, I raised about- money for. You did a great job building. We hired Kate Lester early in her career and we built an awesome spec home on Avenue A. You built that in 2012 for $200 a square foot. Now let's fast forward. I honestly think you're rounding down. I think it was close to 210. 210. Just okay. All right. Perfect. Maybe 208. 210, 208, somewhere in the low 200s. Let's fast forward to 2019, just before COVID. If you were to give, and it's a that was a spec home, and we tried to save money, so maybe a custom home, uh, you know, builder owner would be building at 250 yeah. at that time or 275. Fast forward to 2019, your typical custom home project. 
What did that cost? And then we can fast forward to today just to give people that jump. So there's a lot of volatility here in variety. Yes. A spec for a homeowner. I mean, we're finishing one in Manhattan Beach right now. Not right now. 2019. What was 2019? Because I want to go 12 to 19 and then to today. Yeah. Okay. So you were at 210 in 2012. In 2019, were you at... Probably 400, 450. No, we could have done 350 to 400 for spec, for spec, for spec. spec. And so you add a hundred bucks to that range if it's a custom home. So you were at no more, (laughs) more. Okay. Okay. Let's say 150. Sure. So let's break this down. 210 for spec back in 2012. Yep. You were at 350 to 400 in 2019 for a spec home. Yep. Now let's fast forward to today, 2022, almost at 2023. What are you at for a spec home? And then we'll add 150. Then listeners can add 150 for their custom high-end home. I know there's asterisks. Just give us a number. It could be more. It could be less. Any number I'm saying is like I'm with the assumption that, you know, that is me doing it for an investor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there is a fee involved. Right. Of course. But you're probably looking at. Spec, I guess, closer to 450 to 500. For, that's amazing. Yeah. And so when we had Joe Spear on. That's a medium to higher range. Spec. Sure. But you've got the only ones really making any money these yeah, days are the medium specs, to higher yeah. range because you can't build anything affordable these days, yep. especially not in the South Bay. So that's a huge jump. That's 350 to 450. And now you're at 550-ish, let's call it on a spec. And Joe Spear, the other week that we had on, he goes, hey, for customs homes, expect 650 a square foot, which he's always a little conservative. I know you can do things for less. You can do, you can spend a thousand dollars a square foot on a home. Easily nowadays. But what's interesting to me about these numbers is how it has potentially fueled the home market. I know the home, you follow my podcast more often than the blog, but you know, I follow affordability and there were so many markets that were trending to $1,000 a square foot for my clients to buy. And I'm going, if it costs $550 or $500 for a spec builder and a custom home builder's at $650, I go, you throw in the land, I go, you're buying an existing home, $1,000 a square foot is kind of an okay deal. And you hold for the long term because these construction prices keep going up like crazy. Do you see it? Taking a breather. We're at an inflection. You think we're at an inflection where it's got to stop going up? Well, it should, but, you know, I think I'm reasonably conservative. I Mm -hmm. think you're reasonably conservative. I mean, I was bidding a project pretty recently. Actually, there's a couple projects we've been bidding that got scrapped. And I'll get into that and then I'll say where I think the inflection point is because that's part of that conversation. Okay. You know, you would assume somebody who's building a massive home in Palos Verdes Estates with an original budget of like 3.2 to 3.5 million. Now their cost they were hoping to spend is probably what Joe said, about 650 to 700 bucks a square foot. Mm-hmm. And they're getting rough estimates on the project from 900 to 1500 a square foot. Wow. And they're like, well, you know, we bought our property for, you know, 1.7 million. Putting that much money onto it, I'll never get my money out. And I said, you know, honestly, I disagree because of your location and whatnot. And if you're going to live there for 10 years, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But I hear what you're saying. He's like, the next customer's question, well, you know, do you see the prices coming down of things? Mm-hmm. 
And the reality of that question is this. You have to humanize it. Yes, materials are up. I don't really see many materials going down because the manufactured materials, you have a combination of, it's a commodity. Those might come down. But then you have some aspect of it where some companies are greedy. A Rolex maker may be a little bit greedy. But reality is, is a lot of costs have gone up across the board. So you look at the materials are up. Let's look at the labor. Let's look at the demand. All those workers, we didn't go home and sit and work from our house during COVID. We worked on the job sites during COVID. Mm -hmm. They made us have logs checking everyone's temperature logs saying how often we sanitize the bathrooms. We were expected to sanitize them multiple times a day, hand wash stations, any narrow walkways. We had to have a sign at one side saying, you know, you can't walk in this when another person's walking in this. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And you're like, have you ever dug a trench with a mask on? Like, that's not fun. Yeah. It's just guys worked through some crazy conditions. Mm -hmm. It was not fun. And I distinctly remember for a couple months, I was very scared and uncomfortable going on job sites. Hmm, interesting. I did have an employee get really bad, really sick. I did have the guy who got him sick pass away. Hmm. And we had a couple other stories like that. And you would just hear about it through the grapevine of the industry that mm -hmm. whole jobs would go down. Right. And so there was a period of time. And what that's created, what I'm getting into is... All of the workforce of the actual quality craftsmen are burnt out, are tired, want to get paid more money. Yeah. Everything costs more. Prices go up on the materials. protocols on job sites are different and more expensive now. Well, by the time I sit there and bid a job for you, Richard, mm -hmm. you're like, hey, Kevin, I got this great development. How much is it going to cost to build? Yeah. Great. Going to take a year, 18 months until we actually start construction on that thing. Mm -hmm. And that's not uncommon. I gave you a price back then. I'm trying to figure out a way to hold that price. Every single sub who's given me a price, six to months to eight months from the time they're actually doing it, and numbers were changing so fast. By the time they start the job, they're like, look, I have a choice. Do I try and maintain this relationship with the contractor, or do I jack up my number and, mm -hmm. and risk losing the project? Right. And a lot of those decisions were made. A lot of the subs were losing money because out of the gates, they weren't making any. They couldn't pay their employees more. Well, guess what? Now... Everything started to level off a little bit and they're paying their employees more money. Mm -hmm. So they're having to keep raising their prices. Those employees are finally getting what they wanted or they're jumping ship to some other company. Prices aren't coming down for a while. Prices in construction are not coming down. They're not coming down mm -hmm. for at least, I'd say roughly, and this is my crystal ball answer is that, you know, if the market takes a dive, I mean, you're the realtors, you're the first ones to see it mm -hmm. taking a dive. Mm -hmm. It's going to be another eight, months until we see it on the construction end. Right. When people that start pulling back on it. People start pulling back on builds because the costs are too high. And we're already seeing people, the more conservative people are pulling back, starting to wait and see if numbers go down yes. a little bit. We've had clients where we've sold their home because they had plans to do an addition and it was too expensive. So we sold the home and they just bought the home that they wanted with more space. Which I so don't that's think is a already. choice. So you think we're at an inflection point where People are making what they want. Prices have gone up significantly. Even the three the past three years since COVID, it's it's a hundred, two hundred dollars a square foot more. But we're at an inflection point where you think you level off, but it's gonna stay pricey to build. No, I think eight or nine months down the road, we may see guys get a little more desperate and lower their prices a little bit to keep their guys jobs. busy. Mm -hmm. But it kind of ebbs and flows. 
And the struggle with that is, you know, you got to realize in a customer standpoint, everything costs more. And so their, their assumption is, is you're making more money. But the reality of the situation is guys are just not making more money because of all the other things going on that affect them. And so what I've seen on my end is almost every sub across the board is desperate for cash. They're like, hey, when can I get paid? When can I get paid? You're like, this is not a net zero. Like, you got to relax. It's got to take a week or two. You got to invoice the customer, wait to get paid, and then submit the payments out to the subs. Right. But we have really seen a lot of guys get more desperate for payments because of the last eight months of what they've been dealing with. And if the market starts to dip, which I think it is going to dip on the construction end, and those guys are already cash poor, we're going to have a real problem. And, and that's what I think the inflection point is. So that the inflection points then you think coming in 2023 at some point. I think that's, so. That's fascinating. And it sounds like they're not, what's most interesting to me is your subs are not making more money. It's more of just macroeconomic factors of the materials are more expensive, labor demands more money, and they have procedures and new protocols from COVID that are ending up costing more. So this is something beyond most people's control. A hundred percent. And on the basics of it, like you got to remember you're dealing with small businesses. Mm -hmm. A lot of these guys are not that business savvy or sophisticated Mm -hmm. in the idea that it's like, look guys, I asked a guy a basic question, siding guy, like, Hey, how's business? Oh, it's so good. We're so busy. Everything like that. I'm like, okay. So you got the same amount of employees you had before him? No, we're a little light on employees. Mm -hmm. We could use some more guys. Are jobs taking you longer to execute? Yeah, everything's taking us a little bit longer to execute. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so you're losing money. Yeah, so you have less guys, longer jobs, not as much revenue coming in, and they're failing to see that. Oh, yes. And then on the bidding end of things, for customers, you know, it takes longer because guys are short-staffed, harder to get numbers back from people. And then on top of that, you know, you got to like, we're seeing volatility in prices skyrocket. I mean, massive deltas. What I equate it to is a guy loses money on one job and realizes he's not making a lot of money. So he's trying to make it up on the next job. And so for us on the GC end, it's like, you got to have a, a good deck of guys to work from to make sure you're not catching that guy yeah, they're not catching on the that. job that he lost money on is trying to make it up on. And you got to go and make sure you find more guys to do it. The biggest volatility in a price I had was cabinets. And this is just rough. Job in Manhattan Beach, single family home. I had the highest end cabinet shop in the area price out the job at like 200 grand. 200 grand for kitchen cabinets. Oh, uh, bathrooms, bathrooms okay. kitchen, laundry room. Okay. It's a big house, but that's not finished. And then I had another company price it out at like 240,000. Another one priced it out at 190,000. I'm like, okay. okay got a decent spread here. That's not terrible. I can work with that. There's some little deltas here. I had one number come in at 1.1 million. For cabinets. For cabinets. No. And I was like, I just got to talk to somebody. Can somebody call me back? Yeah, tell me how you got to this number. Yeah, what are you building these with? After four phone calls, I just gave up because I was just curious at that point. Yeah. Where did you come up with this number? The pricing volatility is just through the roof. It's wild. And it's not, it's every trade, Mm -hmm. you know, concrete on a job. I got 1.3, I got 800,000. That's a big volatility. That is. And how do you justify that to a homeowner? A homeowner's first inclination. Take the lower one. Take the lower one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even when they're going to hire GCs, I say the same crap to them where I'm just like, oh, they try and interview you, you do your elevator speech, you know, what do you do in construction, everything like that. 
And I'm like, I give them my speech, all that kind of stuff. But the biggest takeaway I tell to any customer at the end of the day is like, I don't care if you hire me. I don't care if you hire the other guy. The best advice anybody can give somebody building a house, it doesn't matter what the price is. Mm -hmm. You get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. If this guy's focus is management and he's management heavy, he's probably going to be able to communicate very clearly with you. If this other guy is a one-man shop, he's probably not going to have the best communication. But the price difference is going to be there. Mm -hmm. You're going to see a price difference. Right. And the reality is you get what you pay for and hire somebody you really feel like you can trust mm -hmm. that you mesh well with. Right. If you don't mesh well with that person, if you get a bad vibe, then you really don't want to work with them. You want to really only work with somebody not based on their price, but based on the personality that you're working with. Right. Because you've got to mesh. That's yeah. why when you and I build homes together, we have a similar personality type where we just meshed on conversations on design and cost. And you laid it out to me of going, hey, we can go cheaper, but you're taking a risk on something that the consumer is going to see and it may not look that good. Where you go, hey, let's move this beam to save on on this steel beam that's going to cost you $10,000 and no one's going to notice that the hallways two inches smaller exactly, or, you know, two inches yeah. wider. And you just got to mesh with the person you work with. I agree with that hundred percent. That Dude, that's good advice that I hope listeners take away from. Can I take you to something more tangible for our listeners that they can apply it on the market? Sure. So you and I, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about how expensive it is to build, but land prices are still expensive. So I want to take us to the tree section of Manhattan beach because I am seeing where I'm like, it is with the prices you're telling me to build and the land prices I see for tree section Manhattan Beach and then the resale prices, it's getting really expensive to buy, really expensive to build. I'm trying to figure out where things might keep going in the tree section or break. So let, let me break this down and what's in, in my brain. Okay. Okay. And you can stop me and take us any direction you want to, but I go, I am seeing 3,500 square foot homes mm -hmm. in the tree section. Sometimes they're 3,200 square feet. Sometimes they're 37. And those are selling for like $4 million to $4.5 million. The land prices of those are two to $2.5 million. But what you're telling me is that it costs over $2 million or around $2 million to build those size homes. Is that correct? 3,500 square feet. How much does that cost, do you think, going spec home, yeah. semi-custom, about $2 million? Is yeah. that about right? That's about right. So $2 million to build that tree section home. The land is $2 million to two and a half. Sometimes you find really cheap bungalows, not a great location. You get it for one-eight-ish, something like that. But if you're all in for three-eight to four-two, four million to four three on land plus building and homes are selling for four to four and a half million in the tree section. That doesn't pencil. Give me your thoughts on that. And you can take it anywhere. I'm giving listeners one example because the tree section's a hotbed of new construction and it's easy to price out. Fire. How does it make sense? Make that make sense. Or do you go, do you think we're overheated on spec builds? Not spec builds there, but like is it sustainable to buy lots and build and deliver it for and four and a half million in the tree section? <laughs> There's still guys doing it. There's still guys doing it. And are they making zero 
Dollars? There are guys making zero dollars on certain jobs, yeah. In the tree sections. So nah, I mean, look, not yet, but it's pretty damn close to getting to that point. I mean, I know for a fact there's one in the hill section where a guy threw a bunch of money at it and is claiming he's not going to make anything. And yeah, <laughs> if you spent, you know, yeah, it's getting to that point. And I so think does that's- it not make sense to build anymore in the South Bay? And that's a horrible really question helping, to ask you because <laughs> it doesn't help Denton development. No. It does make sense to build your dream home that you're going to live in forever, which you've yeah. done for tons of clients. But to build a three on a lot townhome development in North Redondo or to try and flip a home yeah. in Valmonte, those numbers sound like they don't add up so in the short to medium term. What is the most constant thing in the, that this is we're going to talk development for a second. What's the most important thing in a development? It's not the cost of construction. It's not the resale, but it's how much you buy in the property. Right. For. It's, it's all always you make buy. your money on the buy. Yeah. And that's where it's all at. The other issue we're seeing is that, you know, not every realtor is created equal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Their concept of cost is all over the place. Mm-hmm. My concept of cost, I used to be able to look at a set of plans within five minutes and know within 5% how much that cost is going to be. Nowadays is the first time I am so frustrated that I am just not as confident as I used to be. Right. The volatility is frustrating. The the custom details in a home that you got to figure out and then how people might charge you for that work and for those materials is just, it moves. It's a moving target. Oh, yeah. Especially on the custom end. But on on the development end, I mean, it used to be a lot more controllable. It's just not as much anymore. So we've tried to get, go figure out creative ways of bridging that gap. You know, right when COVID was in, at its peak, you know, we did buy a development property on a, for a screaming deal because it's all about the buy. And I was like, okay, you know, construction costs are high. Let's try and get creative. So I was brought for a large 30-unit development called Catalina Station, this product where the developers there were like, okay, we'd like to, to do this 30-unit with this semi-prefab product. And uh, I looked at the guys and I was like, you can't do it on a massive job like this. Like, this is somewhat experimental. We started on like a small one. And so I did. I went to that company, semi-prefab. It was supposed to reduce our construction costs and speed it up by six months. Well, we sort of, you know, it didn't work out as we had hoped. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I didn't make, I'm not making as much as I planned to make. It costs Mm -hmm. were way higher than I expected them to be. On the custom end of things, it's exactly what you said. I mean, you know, people nowadays, it's really hard to grasp their concept of cost of certain finishes. Mm -hmm. That's a really challenging one right now. And I mean, even your listeners just don't understand where some people are spending their Mm -hmm. money. I had a customer in a regular bathroom that was about six feet wide by 10 feet long, spend $20,000 on wallpaper. Wow. And that's not that big of a bathroom. Uh, yes. $20,000 on wallpaper. Uh-huh. I mean, like everyone was terrified to order this stuff. Uh, to yeah. Make sure they bought the up. right amount because uh-huh. it was a 24 week lead time. Right. I have a job right now where we budgeted, you know, $40,000 for slabs and interior designer and wife go out and pick all the slabs and they're like, all right, we got everything. This is what we want. What are our quantities? Confirm the quantities. Great. $175,000 on slabs, wow. another $275,000 on tile material. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that they're asking me, why didn't you plan for 400 grand 
and material. And I'm right. like, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to spend. And this for is our not a big house. <laughs> Kevin means slabs as in stone countertop slabs. Oh, yeah. So, no, I, I'm just noticing like the amount of money people are spending on finishes is on a level that we've never seen before. So then um, let's talk about value engineering and how to do this. And I'd love to walk some of our listeners through of how you and I built a couple spec homes, because I think it helps people control their costs in a way, unless you think now, granted, I haven't yeah. built a home with you in five or six years, but it is, I love the process that you and I set up because so many people go to their architect and they have them design an incredible design and they're beautiful, but they're often very expensive. And then they call their interior designer to figure out the interiors. And then they call you potentially last or as that's wrapping up and you give them the bad news <laughs> of how expensive it's going to be. Whereas you helped me early on in my career and in another life when I was, you know, raising money and doing the investor stuff is going, bring in all your people at the very beginning. I mean, really, I had my meeting with my architect. And then after that meeting and they started the design process, I brought in you and the interior designer early because you could come in and comment and go, that ridge line is really expensive to engineer. If you tweak it this way, you're going to save yourself $20,000. And then the interior designer goes, I have this big vision for slabs over the fireplace. And you go, look, I love it. It's beautiful, but I want you to know that's going to cost $50,000. Can we tone it back in the primary bathroom? And there's that give and take, and you're able to give costs and then people go, I'm going to spend a ton of money in the kitchen or, oh, no, I don't like my kitchen that much. I'm going to spend a ton of money in the bathrooms or on windows. And it's a collaborative process. Do you still recommend that or do you go like that's so rare because everyone goes architect first and then they call you six months later? No, I 1000% recommend it. It's become more challenging than ever, I guess is how. I and tell it. us why. Is it because customers think it's going to cost less? And then it ends up costing a fortune because yeah. anyone who built a home three years ago, like, yeah, I built my home for 400, 500 bucks a square foot. And that's what everyone thinks it's going to be. And then you give them the bad news that their beautiful custom home is going to cost 700 a square. Well, pretty much. I mean, I am Johnny Raincloud in all of those meetings because mm -hmm. I do enjoy being early on in the process. And I've done it a bunch of times. I do it as favors to people just glance at a set of plans. And it's like, look, if you're looking at value engineer, these are the primary things that are costing you a lot of money. Right. Yes. Because there are some basic things that people just don't get or questioning things, you know, on the plans. Like a lot of contractors will really just glance at your plans and say like, yeah, you're looking at about this much per square foot. You know, the reality is, is it takes more time to know. Way more. Let's give them detail yeah. of how and why I love the process when we work together was going, you wanted interior elevations of the bathrooms and the kitchen. Yeah. Because you were going, hey, if we're laying 12 by 12 tiles, that's less labor because you're covering surface area faster. But if the interior designer picked out small little oh, tiny, that, <laughs> that takes longer and the tile guy is going to bid that longer and just like you, or bid that higher. And just like you said, are we buying $20,000 wallpaper yeah. for a tiny bathroom or are we just painting the bathroom for freaking $1,000? And to me, you have to have your whole team. You have to have you, you have to have your architect, you have to have your interior designer from the start all working together 
And to figure that out, because how the heck do you bid a project without interior elevations calling out every stone, every tile, every faucet, every single detail? You can't give an accurate bid. You can't. I know. And that's why everyone's like, tries to make it apples to apples. Or the some architects will give you control numbers for mm-hmm. particular items yeah. to try and put you on a level playing field. The reality is, is there's 20 different ways to skin this cat. And nobody's ever going to be on a level playing field. There's always going to be a little bit of jumping around from mm-hmm. sub to sub or whichever way they lay it out on their estimate. But needless to say, like starting out early with a contractor in the room, talking with your architect, glancing at the plans is always beneficial to a job. However, what I've noticed is, it, and it really depends on the customer and what trade they come from. Mm-hmm. For example, if they're in tech, you know, what I've noticed is that a lot of the tech people are like, okay. Well, how much is that going to cost me? Oh, that, that fireplace is going to cost you 50 grand. Well, yeah. that doesn't mean anything to them. Yeah. They're focused on the macro of it all. And okay, is this job going to cost me 2 million bucks? It's only like a, that's a small percentage of right. the overall cost of the job. That's not a big deal. Yeah. But the reality is, is it snowballs? I go from meeting to meeting to meeting and all these costs start escalating. They add up in a big way. I mean, way. in a very big way. Mm-hmm. And if you guys, your interior designer, you're not giving a budget to your interior designer mm-hmm. beforehand to make selections then you got another problem too, because it's very easy to pick out beautiful. It's very challenging to pick out beautiful on a budget. Yes. And you got to reel everybody in. You know, my job as a contractor really is to look at the plans and say, okay, yes, if we move this beam over here, if we shrink up this window by one feet foot, that eliminates two pieces of steel here and speeds up your job and saves you 15, 20 grand Mm -hmm. by shrinking up one window, one foot. You know, that's huge. Those are massive. huge details that people don't think about when they're designing homes. No. And, you know, that's technically what we bring to the table trying to be early on. Now, granted, we're not going to catch everything, but we will try and catch as much as we can early on. And then also, you know, understanding like construction procedures. Some customers or architects, I have an architect, you know, we're going to put this material on the outside of the building. It's imported from Copenhagen and, you know, it takes six months to get and all this kind of crap. And I'm like, okay, that's going to be fun. So you want me to import 40 pallets to a job site in Manhattan Beach where I got like a 20 by 20 room to put this stuff? Like, right, right. No parking. Anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to have to bring one pallet at a time mm-hmm. to make this work. Pay for storage. It really like overcomplicates the process and you just kind of have to say to the customer like, okay, do you want this or this? Yeah. I can't give you how it's going to affect your overall project right now, but roughly we can quantify it this way. Is that exact? No. But, you know, having the conversation, is this overly important to you? As a customer, you should have a priority list. Right. And you really, 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 and I can't stress this enough, it's not unique that the husband is worried about the cost and the wife is worried about the looks. Very common. You need to have... One person in the relationship be the decision maker and the point of contact because more often than not, I am not a marriage counselor, (laughs) (laughs) simply put. So getting your contractor in the room early is important. Now, the hesitation in my voice when you originally asked, is that still a good idea, Mm -hmm. comes with the challenges that the post-COVID time has created, meaning, okay, We used to be able to submit a set of plans to a city. Each city had their own process and whatnot. All of those processes have changed and they are actively still changing. And literally, I remember a city, Manhattan Beach, just one day snapped their fingers and, uh, you know, you went from like an estimated three or four month plan check period 
to seven months just That's because huge. somebody changed one decision. And they don't send out a memo to us or the architects or anybody like that. And you're just blindsided and a customer's flipping out at you. Yeah, people expect it to be done faster. Exactly. And so for us, it's like, okay, you know, we can get our eyes on on the plans early. But the reality of the situation is, is that you can't really formally price out your job until you have your permits. Mm -hmm. Because, once again, go back to we're all small businesses. Everything's volatile pricing-wise. Everything's volatile pricing-wise from the time I... if. From the time we start the design process, I have a job that's been in design and we're just into foundations. Three years. Mm -hmm. Three years. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't the homeowner's fault. It's mostly the city's fault and, you know, really challenging architecture and design. I got the issue for construction set from the architects. I just got the permits. The plans are different. And they're different enough to shut down the job and sit down in a three-hour meeting with the architects, the engineers, and making sure that everyone's on the same page and that... Can we bring these back, certain structural aspects, back to where they were? Mm-hmm. Because little changes like that, if you don't plan out every aspect of the job on a really technical job, can really show aesthetically on the end of a project. That makes sense. So that's where the hesitation comes, is that like you need to, your contractor, your architect, your interior designer need to sit down and have a proper procedure for moving forward with the project and making sure everyone's on the same page, making sure communications come through. Because the other part of that whole decision is, you know, you, the customer, I ask every one of my friends is doing a remodel and they're like, oh, we're frustrated with this. You know, we're, we're working with these and designers and this happens or that happens, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. And they gave us this like decision to make. And it's like, but it's going to be cheaper if you don't work with us and work with that. And I was like, oh, well, it's, they're giving you an obvious decision. And I was like, that's a weird statement. And I said, well, are you a difficult customer? (laughs) And she's like, had to step back and think about it for a second. And she's like, you know, I don't think I am. And I'm like, maybe you are. Like the reality is, if I am a builder Mm -hmm. and I ask you a simple question, what color would you like to paint your walls? Mm -hmm. And that turns into an act of Congress through 50 freaking emails (laughs) going back and forth. And I'm like, listen, as the builder, I get to a point where I'm like, I don't care how the sausage is made. I just want to know what color to paint your wall. What, what paint. Yes. I don't need to be a part of all these other things. If you want to know a question, I can answer it, but I'm not going to be on an email thread going back and right. forth and negotiating with everybody. I think that's where the consumer needs to be more educated on when they're remodeling or building their home because people believe that, hey, all of this is as, it's as important to them as it is their workers. And it is an important result for you. But like you said, your job is to execute building the home. And if you don't have the decisions on paint, faucets, windows, you sit there doing nothing and you it sounds like you should almost be a psychologist for people who are about to build a home being like here's how you get your job at a better price by being a more efficient more educated because kevin how many people build a home they do it like once in their lifetime and they build their dream home no one has any experience building homes and so i think there's a huge education gap that just people don't have I do. I take working that, in your in- industry, which is, is hard. It is like because I, I will notice that working in this industry, you get numb to things like something that seems so basic to you mm-hmm. is just not basic to somebody else. Right. Or cost of things. Seem, sure. Like from one person to the other, I'm like, oh, yeah, 10 grand for that. That's perfectly fine. And then somebody else will be flipping out at that. And I'm like, oh, no 
rely on. Them. Yeah, but they, but they have no clue because they've yeah. never done it before, which makes your job really tricky. Let's switch gears here to some trends Ooh. in the South Bay because you're always at the front of this all of yeah. what trends in the South Bay are hot right now or becoming hot. And then we can follow up with building trends that are maybe falling out of style. So let's start with what's hot and what's getting hot here in the South Bay. There's two big things, I think. Like, you know, what used to be the quote-unquote farmhouse sinks, like that used to be the most basic thing you could do to be like, make somebody go googly over your house. Uh Now it's like uh, literally putting a finish on every wall other than paint. I mean, people want plaster, wallpaper, tile. I mean- Shiplap. Yeah, wainscoting Mm -hmm. everywhere, paneling. And I mean, there was the homes tour the, the past weekend and my wife was in one and she's like, you could tell when you walk through this house, they spent a lot of money. Uh, just on the walls and the ceilings. Everything. She's like, <laughs> not a single surface was painted drywall. Yeah. Every single thing was covered. Uh-huh. And I'm like, and that really is the trend. I mean, one of our jobs are like, you know, it's spec for paint throughout the house. And uh-huh. I'm like, we're doing, you know, plaster throughout. And I'm like, that's like two months of added time onto it. Wow. Plus so just a small tweak like that, tens of thousands. I mean, it adds up to 50,000 bucks just to do plaster walls and stuff. Pretty much. Okay. And they're much more fragile than paint and everything like that. You can't really touch it up. So mm-hmm. it's like, mm-hmm. you know, people don't realize, but those that is a big trend. Details. You know, ceilings, all that kind well, of stuff. Well, and those, those are my buyer clients. Sometimes they don't know what they're buying of. You see that beautiful vaulted ceiling with the oh, tongue yeah. and groove and the beams. And people go, why are they asking so much money for this home? And I'm like... There are design pieces here that people don't understand that putting shiplap on all the walls on the downstairs of the house adds a significant cost for that look. Yeah, it's layers upon layers of finished details that Mm -hmm. you have to actually look at a house and be like, you know, if this was just a drywall box, Mm -hmm. I'd see it a different way. Yes. So I definitely feel- So covering walls and ceilings, that's a trend. Yeah, finishes, different unique finishes on all every areas of the house. As in like hardware on kitchen cabinets- you're talking about those finishes or no. what, what finishes? Wall finishes. Wall finishes yeah. and ceiling finishes are the hot and trend tile, right now. Stuff like that. What do you think is going to get hot or you're seeing people ask well, more about? So listen, we talked about pretty. Mm-hmm. All right. What the other biggest trend is not a pretty trend, actually. Okay. And it's mostly from our younger demographic are focused on, which I think is extremely pleasant and most realtors annoy me when they answer my questions when I bring this topic uh-oh, up. Uh-oh, what am I going to annoy you about? I, it's, um, you know, every single homeowner I'm having right now building really nice homes is really focused on the environment. The environment, okay, And focused got it. on efficient floor mm-hmm. plans. They're like, mm-hmm. look, there are still those outliers who are like, I want 5,000 square feet or whatnot. But mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, you know what? If you can get me a 2,500 square foot house, that suits my family's needs and is really well-designed mm-hmm. floor plan, I'm all over that. Love it. I love that idea. I like that too. Yeah. You ha- you built a beautiful home that And we've won had awards. this debate. We've had this yes. debate. If you're doing it for a profit, a spec home builder, building this a smaller home me. is not the right call in today's market. Down the road, I can see this paying off big time. Hold on. Okay. We're okay. talking square footage. Square footage, yes. Let's get into the environmental topic and the options. And I'm going to tell you the options and then I'm going to persuade you why 
realtors aren't able to sell this okay. to homeowners. Got it. Okay. Because it is a frustrating thing. I've taken seminars on mm-hmm. it. Oh, you can sell this. You can make more money, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, let's go into some of the environmental things that people are asking for. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want solar. Well, now solar is required. Yeah, solar okay? is required. But realistically, you could put like, you know, five panels up on the roof and meet your requirement. Yeah. That doesn't do much for your electric mm-hmm. bill. But you already have the startup cost. You might as well put a full array up there, right. simply put. And that is an active, environmentally friendly aspect on your home. Got it. A passive, environmentally friendly aspect is nicer insulations. Some people are conscious, like spray foam has mm-hmm. a much higher R value than conventional bad insulation. Okay. Or hiring somebody to actually do energy calculations on your overall home. Like, hey, we'll build houses for people from time to time. And they'll be like, you know, this room's a little warmer than the other. And I'm like, well, you got to understand there's three things you feel when you're standing inside a room, temperature, humidity, and radiation. Okay. All right. Like sunlight. What do you believe are the percentages of what you feel? I would say the sunlight radiation. Sunlight is radiation. like the majority of it. You're correct, Richard. <laughs> Not your average realtor. Yeah. yeah. The smallest percentage is temperature. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you're like, how the hell is 50% of what I'm feeling in this room? Radiation. Yeah. The well, sun. Guess what? I got windows. Yeah, every windows. You know, you go walk into one of these beautiful Manhattan Beach homes. That's solid windows. Yeah, gets hot. Anybody who's educated in windows and doors is like, oh, there's this thing called a U value and an STC number, a solar mm-hmm. heat gain number, whatever it is. But not a STC, but a, a solar heat gain value. There's an average of that that gives you a comparable R value, and one of the most popular like manufacturers of those beautiful doors that you see on every single house on the Strand, which is like Fleetwood. You know, everyone's like, oh, and they're Fleetwood sliders. That's your mm-hmm. name brand. That sure. Has, as a realtor, you're like, oh, yes, I got a check mark. Yeah, I got a Fleetwood door. Yeah, put that in the description. Yeah. That's like an R1. And when you're buying your insulation on the wall, you're like, oh, I got R19. Well, guess what? All that lumber, 30% of that wall is an R5. Mm-hmm. Average it. You take that average of that R1 plus that wall assembly and everything like that, you're down to like an R6 mm-hmm. for the overall uh, insulation inside that room. Then on top of that, that's your radiation value. On top of that, you look at air leakage. Yeah, which gets through the doors and the windows. The average, and not only that, it's every electrical outlet. The average house in, in the, the South Bay that we're building has an air leakage number equivalent to the size of two by three window. Completely open wow. in your house. That's a new all home. day long. That's new homes new being homes. built. That blows yeah. my mind because I was just in my house the other day, putting my hand around my old slider doors, and I can feel the cold air coming in from outside. Oh yeah, and I'm like, this leakage is insane. How much is that pumping up my heating bill? It's and it's you're huge. building new, and that mine's a with a 25 year old remodeled home, like with old 25 year old doors. And I'm going, I can't imagine that you have a window open on these new construction homes new that construction. I thought were supposed to be so insulated. Oh yeah, and it triggers so many things. And so, like another, so we do nicer insulation. We then do these things called a blower door test, where we actually are pressurizing the building and use smoke and see where the leaks are coming from, and we eliminate as many leaks as we can. And so there's something called like a passive house. A passive house standards, you know, require a house to be super airtight, think about where the window locations are and whatnot. And these type of houses, you can, in a cold environment like Canada, get it to where a hairdryer will heat your house. That's amazing. 
So these are these environmentally friendly concepts that you're seeing younger buyers focus on. Smaller footprint, more efficient. They want- They think about water. They want gray water systems, rainwater collection systems, solar. They want nicer insulation. They want things that are going to benefit the overall house. Mm -hmm. Water filtration, air purification. I mean, we're doing some crazy filtration systems out of Switzerland on most of our jobs nowadays. And they're no brainers for customers when you start explaining it to them and thinking about it. And people nowadays I'm seeing and recognizing are cutting budgets and finishes to do these To do the air filtration and all that stuff. And you're saying that's a a younger trend like 100%. like people who 30 have somethings who early 40s do by the world. okay yeah. and they're building smaller homes which i'd love to point people to your i think you made architectural digest or something for one of your smaller homes in the tree section that you built with those vaulted ceilings oh, and yeah, the pool that. on the side yard that was the home i thought you were talking about because no. that's like 1800 square feet where people are normally building a 3500 square foot home that home i freaking loved but someone's not going to pay four and a half million dollars for it 1400 square feet 1400 <laughs> square foot home brand new ground up build but i do like that it's and going, a beautiful house if your kids are going off to college soon and you go let's build let's save money on the build maybe you don't <laughs> because you got to build ground. But those things I think are nice. And there's going to be a few 3,500 square foot homes for homeowners that need more space. And maybe people are building newer 1,400 to 2,000 square foot homes to fit the environment. Who knows? Maybe that's the, the new I, realm we'll live in in the next I 20 years. I just think people are realizing they need certain spaces. And like it used to be like, oh, I need this massive master bedroom. Well, I'm not hanging out no. doing jumping jacks in my master bedroom. No, you're I sleeping. go there to sleep. Yes. Or, Agreed. Whatever. The, no one needs I want a larger square foot home. Like yeah. you can if you want it. If that's your goal, fine. But we can all survive in a 3,000 square foot home or really a 2,000 if you had to. 11,000 square feet, I think maybe won't be a thing of the past, but it could be less than it was maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. Maybe. So, I do really think so. Yeah, I, I think, think people build less. I think in general, we're going to start s- seeing a big push towards quality of construction being mm-hmm. better because it's gotten bad. In yeah. Opinion, Get big. nicer materials, better thought process. Yeah, things that are going to last big. longer. I mean, yes. in my own house, I have, my house is like an experimental science project, <laughs> quite frankly. I mean, I've... This entire winter, I haven't turned on the heat once. Is that because you have thermo? What is your... That doesn't even turn on. Just because your house is so well insulated. My house is well insulated. It's airtight. My house is a Yeti cooler. I mean, literally, there are very few air leaks inside the house. Mm -hmm. Nice. My body alone gives off enough BTUs for me to be warm in the house, which is amazing. Yeah. So usually on like a cold night, we don't have the heat going. It stays at around crazy. 68 degrees. Ours is on all day long in this you yeah, know, our rental, degree weather. We were living there while we were building. It was like uh, every five minutes the, the unit would turn on. on. Which is crazy. And if you build homes like that where the heaters don't have to kick on or the air conditioning, how good that is for the environment if that becomes the norm yeah. for everyone. And not only forward. that, it's like people like the fun one is... Um, Gas ranges, you know, that should be on your trend list. I really think in the next seven years, you're going to see a massive change from gas ranges to electric induction. 
Okay, induction. I thought you were going to say electric because well, we had an electric. I said electric induction horrible. because yeah. people don't understand what induction is. Yeah, I know what induction okay. is. But induction, I've heard, is better. I've never used one, but just pure electric range is kind of a disaster if you're a chef. So what I tell customers is I literally will buy them for 50 bucks. You can buy a hot plate you know, That's on induction. Amazon. That's induction. Yeah. You plug it into the wall. And I said, just cook on that for a week and let me know what you think. And they love it. And they love it. Yeah. And, and for our listeners that don't know induction, it's a specialized surface where it's hot to the right pot or pan. You can put your hand on it. You don't feel a thing. Well, sort of. It's magnets. So by yeah, by the way, don't put your hand on it. It's Kevin saying. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's magnets. So you need to have a metal that is magnetized. Okay. So you should have like a, a magnet next to your pot to test it to see if it will work on mm-hmm. induction. Mm-hmm. But like a cast iron dish or a Le Cousin, or a Staub, whatever, all of those will work on it. And then certain other pans that are magnetic will work with it. What it is, is two magnets. When you place your pot down there, the magnets start, it engages the magnets and they start moving back and forth. When you remove the pot, it is not blazing hot, but it is still a piece of glass that does- That is capturing uh, heat from the pan or from the magnets. Yeah, so within like a a minute, it'll be cold, but don't just test that. Okay, sorry. Everyone, <laughs> disregard. But it is extremely safe for like, if you have an island, you put an induction burner on there and yeah. you got small kids, like yeah. that's the way to go. And Not there's a, a party burner. and someone leans on it. It's it's cool in a minute yeah. and you're good to go. But yes. anyways, so I do really like induction burners. It eliminates the carcinogens of what gas, because yeah, when you burn gas, what happens? Your you're creating CO2 inside yeah. your house. You're in your changing home. the indoor air quality of the home. And indoor air quality actually has become a big thing with sure. COVID and everything like I that. I agree. So people start asking more questions about that stuff. But yeah, like all the builders are going to be like, man, building a tight house, that's a really bad idea. Mm. Shoot. And you're right. If I lived in a trash bag, what's going to happen? CO2, humidity, hell, I'm going to poison my family with yeah. whatever, you know? Somebody leaves the gas thing on a little bit. So right. that's the truth. But what do you have to do? You have to sit there and control the air that's in the house. So we do something called ERVs, energy recovery ventilators. And Mm -hmm. it basically is pulling air from outside the house, supplying it to all the areas, temperature controlling it, filtering it, and then pulling exhausted air from inside the house Mm -hmm. in all the bathrooms or closets and darker areas, taking that temperature, transferring the outside air to that temperature and exhausting that outside the building. So when we got fire season, I'm going to be living in my house, feeling like I got all the windows open, living that fresh air life. It's all filtered and replaced and all that type of stuff. That's right. That's amazing. And during COVID, make your wife go sleep in the other bedroom or something like that. She's Because you're sick. filtering the air. And I'm filtering the air and I'm not going to give it to the rest of the family. See, this is going to be the next show. We have you back on like all the cool stuff that is that probably didn't exist 15 years ago because people don't realize just like technology tra- changes our world. It's massive. Like I tell people the accordion slider doors. Oh, you know, you go to these old you know, post and beam houses. And you're like, they have those tiny aluminum slider doors. I'm like, they didn't have the, you know, the Fleetwood doors that we have now. And I'm not saying yeah, this is the way to go. <laughs> I go, but there's new technology with building materials every five years that comes out that'll blow your mind. And you're on the cutting edge of that stuff, which we should have a whole show about with you telling us about this filtration and I mean, sending your water down deep underground to have it heated or cooled or things of that well, nature. That, let's just talk about that. Okay, for one okay. Second. I'm a, All right. Geothermal. Geothermal. There's like probably only two guys who do it in the area. Mm-hmm. I started doing it on my own house and I talked to all these guys and I was like, okay, so 
I'd like to do geothermal on my house. And all of these guys, every project they work on that's geothermal, the project budget is between like seven to $20 million. They're really expensive homes or commercial projects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I explained to them my house in particular. I'm like, look, I would like to build a smaller house, really well insulated and airtight. Mm-hmm. So it won't require a lot of BTUs of heating. And there's a whole process for actually engineering this with a mechanical engineer. My goal is to put this type of system in and do geothermal heating. I'm like, oh no, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, why not? Because they're so used to dealing with customers. They want to individually control with an individual air handler every single room Mm -hmm. in the house. And that's too hard. It's grossly expensive Mm -hmm. because you got every single piece of equipment needs to be serviced. So you could have 15 units inside your house. Mm -hmm. And it also requires a lot more BTUs and more BTUs means more boreholes. And geothermal has always been in California reasonably out of reach because the boring cost is so expensive. Mm -hmm. Right. It can more than double what the actual system cost is. But what people don't realize is that if you think about the entire envelope of the house, you can reduce that boring cost. You can reduce the size of the unit that you actually need for your house, reducing reducing the overall cost of the system. And then the best part of it is you get the same tax incentives that you get with solar that you do with geothermal. Wow. So then you save money on that. This is the value engineering we should have been diving in on the show. But let's think about it like the value engineering. Sure. Customers aren't like, that's not necessarily a value engineering thing, but if you're living in a house for 10 years, that's going to save you money every single month. That's Mm -hmm. an all electric system that uses less electricity than or probably half the amount of electricity as an efficient system and 75% less electricity than a conventional system. Mm. I mean, my house has a nine kilowatt solar array on it. Mm-hmm. And I overproduce electricity about 40% every month. So you get refunds on that. You pay no electric bills, all that type of jazz. Your home is insulated. You never run your heater. It's cool I do, stuff. I run a fireplace just because it looks pretty. Yeah. But <laughs> set the mood. Yeah. There's a lot of cool products out there. And like, I would say if you're ever building a house, before you start the project, go to the build show in Vegas and, and like, check that have out. Your mind blown on yeah, the cool take pictures stuff of stuff. In. There's a lot of cool products out there, and just a lot of builders are not really into the cutting the edge cool stuff. They're yeah. into okay, what is business the as usual? Want, get the I'm house keep built doing it. until yeah. someone demands it. So exactly, dude, I'd love that. We got to wait for that building show. When is it normally? January. January. We should have you back on the show in the spring after you've absorbed all the cool cutting edge stuff and just have a show on value engineering and all the cool things you can do, like the induction. Should do the podcast in Vegas. Well, do it in Vegas. (laughs) Wow. Sergio's fired up about that. Or I'm fired up about that. Not Long Beach anymore. We'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) I say we do it in March during March Madness. Kill a couple birds with one stone. (laughs) So, dude, Kevin, we got to do this again. We're going to go into some topics that our, our listeners really want. We didn't even cover any I questions. I was like, did we, we just, explain? No, we just talked. We didn't explain anything. This, this was just us having fun. We went advanced. So our advanced listeners are really going to enjoy this. We'll bring it back down to the beginner level next time and then do all the cool stuff. But dude, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. Let's build some more houses together in the future, and hopefully we have some clients <laughs> you gotta hiring you got to find the right buy. It's all about the buy. That's buyer. right. We're going to buy the right dirt and then have yeah. you come in and build it. Kevin, thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time. See you later.